Hello everyone, I'm Mark, the chief writer here at Maltopia, and I just wanted to remind you the sleep-wake cycle is but one of a series of interconnected horror podcasts within the wide and weird world of Maltopia. For Easter eggs, crossover events, and additional lore, please check out our other series, The Shepherd of Wolves, Red Mother, Grimland, and The Damnation Machine. And be sure to check out our free content on our Patreon page for additional lore and stories. For even more Maltopia content, consider becoming a patron. Starting for as little as $2 a month, benefits range from additional art, update videos, early episode access, our mini-podcast series, October's Children, both written and full audio pieces, such as The Lost Library, Tales of Maltopia, and The Weird Book. You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Rusty Quill presents.
Feel the ungodly thing where my power outlined its grotesque features. A sabulous mountain of the absurd, pressing against the banality of my gift, trying to find a crack, purchase for the paranormal. But, at the moment, I wasn't budging. Whenever I'd let an exo have it, my power'd just bring them down to earth, level the playing field. But against the creature from the giant coffin, it worked like a goddamn force field. My ability wouldn't admit so much as a toenail into its range of effect. It was as polarized a contest as ever I'd experienced, even more so than when I'd faced off with the Night Christ, or even the Crematorium. With those two, I was off my home turf, suspended between worlds, partially subject to alien laws of cause and effect. But this time, we were both in our respective element. The unreal versus the real. At the level I was forced to reach and maintain, I could feel my concern shifting away from the monster and towards the soul-shrinking effect of my own ability. The storm paled, its thunder falling behind the drone of the ordinary. A white cold slope of indifference sliding into depression, falling atop despair, breaking apart into the infinite nothing. My bones felt cold, my mind collapsed to a tiny point of infinite sadness. Just a little longer and I wouldn't feel a thing. I wouldn't want to. The revolvers were shredding the big box easily enough, but there was just too much box and not enough bullet. I needed to make my shots hit harder, widen the envelope of destruction. My plan wasn't ideal, as I had to extend my power out toward the coffin, narrowing my field, allowing the monstrosity closer. But if the coffin was as much concentrated strangeness as the thing that occupied it, I might be able to weaken it enough to let my rounds do more damage. thing's hands were wrapped around the wall of my power, squeezing. The mob of its minions were encircling me, and I just kept firing and firing. That last second after the thunder, my power ballooned as the thing let go, vanished. And now there was nothing, just the open sea, the night filling it black and silent, and something standing behind me. The loaded silence gave it away, Mesmer's giant freak job for a bodyguard. Silent and still as stone, its billowing cloak was slicked in the brackish blood of the vanished minions. It had apparently been trying to help keep the mob off me while I slung rounds at the box. You still among the living, Agent Lamb? Yeah, yeah, I'm still here. 
Is the boat all clear? Yeah, looks like. Whatever you did, <laughs> it worked. Yeah, well, you might have helped a little. Isaiah, are you okay? Is it gone? I'll make it. And uh, as far as I know, it's gone. At least I hope so. Just sort of, I don't know, disappeared. How are things down there? Well, you know, never a dull moment. I'll fill you in when you get down here. Gotcha. Be back in just a few. I hadn't heard it move, but when I looked up from the walkie, the minder was gone. I didn't know what it was exactly, but it was worth keeping an eye on, if that was even possible. Whatever its nature, it looked like I owed it one. Hey there. Sorry, wanted to keep the channel private. And I'm pretty sure our intercells are coded through the ship's network. Anyway, Mesmer wants to meet with us ASAP. I get the feeling we're finally going to get a few answers. About goddamn time. I just duked it out with, uh, <laughs> I have no fucking idea what. And I still have no solid idea as to what the hell is even going on. Okay, now I'm lost. How does killing people in basements help Mesmer and his bunch deal with the possibility of a new darkness? Through me at first, too. But I'll catch up on everything as soon as we're done with Mesmer. Gotcha. I'll be right there as soon as I change out of these wet clothes. I don't mind fighting legions of the undead, just not in the rain. Please, both of you take a seat. Oh, and, um, this is Illinul, my minder. Whatever can be said to me can be said in front of him. I trust him implicitly. And there it was. A name for the big guy. After the intro, he just, uh, nodded that gigantic hat of his in my and Romy's direction. Romy smiled and nodded back, but I felt I needed to address the elephant in the room. Or whatever he was. Nice to meet you, um, Illinois. And thanks for the assist up top. I owe you one. And, uh, no hard feelings about earlier. That little game of tag below decks. Didn't know who you were. The big guy just nodded again, but I could feel his gaze on me. Sizing me up, maybe. First, let me apologize for all the cloak and dagger. But we've been operating under no small amount of scrutiny since Gand and I first started to organize this, uh, effort, such as it is. We completely understand, sir. But if I may, why did you specifically choose us to help you with all of this? Right. Well, that's a bit more complicated to explain, I'm afraid. 
After the good work the two of you did at Maros, your names turned up on a list Gand requested for available and accomplished operatives for the projects he'd submitted for approval, the Magic Lantern and Silentage initiatives. After he read your profiles, he was certain you were the people for the job, but he ran into trouble after trying to get you assigned, given that neither of you had the clearance necessary for the class of outing Gand and I had in mind. So, he put in for your promotion immediately, which took some doing on his part, from what I understand. Huh. He told me he'd voted against my promotion, as I wasn't cut from the same cloth as my brother. The Assistant Mysterion is very fond of throwing smoke, to keep as many people guessing as possible. Or at least, he was. Which brings me to my question. What happened at Blackledge? I was initially told the entire mission was a complete loss, but then I received word that the both of you turned up at some artist's colony. I immediately requested that you join me in Three Mile Harbor, but I've heard nothing about Gant, and the Magic Lantern Club's been utterly silent as to the fate of their shadowcaster, Fajin. Fajin didn't make it. I saw that firsthand. But we never saw Gand after the ritual. At least he wasn't among the dead. Out of curiosity, how long ago did you receive word that the mission was a loss? I suppose it's been about a week. <laughs> nice. The Esoterium counted us out even before our final throwdown with the Scream Eaters. If we needed proof we weren't intended to leave Blackledge, there it is. I'm not sure I understand what you mean. The last communication I received from Gand indicated the Scream Eater presence was larger than initially expected. But surely it's a given that they would have sought your demise? There wasn't just a large presence of Scream Eaters. They ran the entire city. They even had it built to their own specifications, embedding it with alien technology. There's no way they pulled that off right under the Esoterium's nose. Not without someone knowing about it and letting it happen. I did a tour of the place during the uh, first failed reclamation and I sure as shit know that place was under a microscope. No way the Scream Eaters just snuck in there and redesigned it. <laughs> Top to bottom. <sighs> well, that certainly makes sense of the last minute changes to our plan. What do you mean? We'd originally planned to hold the Magic Lantern Ritual within the Ingerton Woods, at the site of the Ingerton Wickerman. A sizable obscurum where legions of persons looked to have been ritualistically burned. The site was ideal for the requirements laid out for the lantern ceremony, but not long after the location had been proposed, it got changed to Blackledge, within the Chimney House district. The change was far from ideal, as Gand, through his own sources, was made aware of the presence of the Scream Eaters. Though, it seemed that presence was vastly underreported to him. But we may do, assuming the reason for the change concerned the forest's relative closeness to Kettleston, where all the fighting broke out. But now I'm beginning to think otherwise. Hmm. And if that weren't enough proof of outside involvement, I ran into what very well might have been some added insurance, just in case the Scream Eaters didn't eliminate us. When I went to, uh investigate a possible visitor from Nighthead, someone brought in to get the scoop on whatever the Magic Lantern show turned up. I crossed paths with some kind of golden armored assassin. 
Whoever he was, he killed the Nightheader and all his goons, but stopped short of taking me out. Gand thought he was sent to secure the information from the ritual, so as to disallow anyone from knowing what the ritual turned up. Except, of course, whoever was pulling the strings from inside the Esoterium. But all that said, we never did see the guy again, so I'm not sure it all added up the way Gand thought. Whoever he was, he didn't strike me as a Scream Eater, and he knew where and when to find the Nightheader, so he was pretty well informed. Also, while I couldn't be sure, I got the impression that Gand had some idea who the assassin was. His ears perked up pretty good when I told him the guy wielded a great big scythe. Does that mean anything to you? Indeed, it does. He's called the Fisher of Men, or at the very least, someone posing as the Fisher. You see, he's a figure straight out of legend, the right hand of an order of Mithra that supposedly survived the Tanninfall, the Court of Gold. The Court was said to be responsible for several major events, the beheading of the old-blooded kings, and the slaying of the last Tannin, Gila Din, to name a few. But most of these tales came from erythemic texts that were rewritten and revised by the early mystery cults, many of which used the specter of the Mithra as a sort of boogeyman, culminating with the invention of the devil, a beautiful deceiver, second only to the godhead in sheer power. In many of these stories, it was the Fisher himself who executed the will of the Court of Gold. Well... <sighs> It's not the first time the topic of the Mithra have come up. Uh, Romy, maybe we are. We have to tell someone what we know, Isaiah. We were betrayed and left to die back in Blackledge. <laughs> left to die being a wildly understated description of what they had planned for us. Please, anything that might help. It was the Mask of Asaya the Fallen that anchored the Serpent Line back in Marrows. We hadn't even heard the name until after our debriefing in Hallowick. We decided it was best not to let on that we knew anything. That little omission just might have saved you. Though I'm certain by now the higher-ups are well aware of who the Mask belonged to. Okay, let's pretend I didn't learn esoteric world history at Seance University. Why doesn't someone sound me out on these guys, the, uh, Mithra? All I know is that the one whose name we figured out is somehow related to the shit that went down in Maros, and that knowing more than your bosses is never a good thing to let on. Well, let me see if I can help you out on that. You see, the Mithra are thought to be a great and boundless race of beings that lived before the world fell from grace, before the first darkness, before beasts roamed the earth, before the Earth was a round rock set adrift within the cold void. It was only after their greed unbalanced the natural forces that held the spheres together that life, as we know it, developed. Developed from the loam of the lower depths, cast in shapes of man and animal and monster. Isaiah is believed to be the name of the Mithra who did it, set heaven aflame cast us from the garden, so to speak. But the resulting catastrophe, now thought to be the very first and greatest darkness, destroyed the Mithra entirely. Or, at least, 
degenerated them into something so far removed from their former glory as to constitute an entirely different species of being. Suffice to say, if such a creature were to be alive today, it would be... dangerous. <laughs> well, if just one of their masks could crack a hole between realities, I'd say that's a pretty accurate assumption. Could any of this have something to do with the Dim, or a second or third Great Darkness? All I know is what we've been able to deduce from our studies of the Dim. That it's a manifestation of the progressive weakening of reality, a corruption of its underlying logics. Given the alleged fate of the Mithra, it hardly seems to be the sort of thing they would pursue, given that it was a similar disaster that unseated them. Progressive weakening of reality? As consciousness theorists have always speculated, there seems to be a relationship between reality and the collective mind. The more cogent the collective mind, the more rigidly and law-governed our reality behaves. But if enough people run mad, then reality breaks down. That's what we're thinking anyway. But it's a practically impossible subject to examine. You see, the more psychotypes we bring together to study their collective effects, the more their numbers draw the dim. Which is why we're taking them to the Silentich, the largest concentration of naturally occurring pale matter upon the planet, the only material known to us that can strengthen local, conventional reality. The very stuff that comprises those guns of yours, Agent Stroud. Only in such an environment can we functionally study their super-lunatics, Perhaps figure out how to stop all of this. Ah, so that's why you brought my brother and I on board. Our ability to influence the two phases of reality, coherence and decoherence. Precisely. The two of you will be able to operate with much greater latitude than any of us. If something untoward should occur, we'll be counting on the two of you to help set things right. I hate to break it to you, but uh, me and Romy already went around with the dim wasn't pretty. We were lucky to get away alive. The mere fact you were able to walk away at all tells me you're precisely the agents for the job. Now, I must ask you, what did the Magic Lantern show reveal? Damn it, what is it now? We're moving into position for our final approach. The stuff is pretty thick. I see. I'll be right there. We'll have to continue our conversation later. I think you too will want to see this. As you can see from even this distance, the dim is gathered all around the silentage. Drawn, it seems, by the multitude of psychotypes currently residing there. And yet the pale matter deposits keep it from overrunning the place. It was like looking across a shimmering mirage. A molten reality barely discernible as my own. Where the land and sea and sky and sun bled together like fresh paint running down a canvas. Hinting at a world where the impossible was the rule rather than the exception. Only lines of tall white columns, made from pale matter no doubt, offered any kind of stability to the sights. 
the spaces between them sane and solid. Rising from the sea in equidistant pairs, they fell back toward the coastline, outlining a large lane through which the boat could pass, presumably untroubled by the churning dim. So, is this what reality looks like when nobody's looking? Before anyone knows whether Schrodinger's cat needs a saucer of milk or a shallow grave? No. This is what it looks like when the world attacks one too many windmills and can no longer tell a hawk from a handsaw. The Sleep-Wake Cycle is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone and performed by Kelly Bear and Mark Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld and sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Be sure to check us out at www.maltopia.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. If you want unique art and animations of Maltopia's stories, visit our YouTube page or click on the link in the show notes. If you're a fan and want to help the show grow, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And for more exclusive content, such as additional lore, stories, and art, be sure to check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia.